Really love that we've been able to spend an entire month just on praise. You know, I really believe that there's huge power in praise. And I know we've been saying it all this morning, all this month, but there is power in praise. It's a huge... When you change your mindset about it and realize what authority comes when we declare the name of God, things transform. Things in your life can transform. And you know, something that I kind of have been realizing over the last month that is I really believe our trajectory as a church is that we're going to be defined as a church that can praise, a church that declares the name of God. You know, I think more broadly, the church has forgotten how to praise, actually. I think the church really understands how to worship and how to be introspective and how to look at the brokenness of our heart and healing that. And that's so important. It's really important. But the thing with praise is it's a declaration of victory. We're victorious because Christ lives within us. We're free because Christ lives within us. That's worth praising and shouting and declaring. Come on. And yeah, you absolutely have permission to get a bit rowdy today as well. If you, if you want to kind of speak in the spirit or say amen or something, go for it. You have permission today. Um, so this morning, we've seen what happens when a group of people come together and worship. We see, you know, and we've seen all this month that as we praised, we've, we've had healings, we've had prophetic words, we've had words of knowledge. It's been incredible. And um, when we praise, the atmosphere shifts. We don't stay in the same place because what we're doing is we're activating something supernatural with a natural act. We, we physically speak and, and speak out the name of God and then the atmosphere shifts. You see, folks, today, praise is a weapon. Praise is a weapon. But here's the thing with the weapon. It's only a weapon if you wield it. It's only a weapon if you pick it up. There's two ways of looking at it. You could be shouting and jumping and singing, but if you don't have the understanding of what praise is or, or the, the love of God, then it's just noise. But by the same token, if you know the truth that if you speak out, things shift, but you don't say anything, God can't do anything with that because it's just dormant. So praise is a weapon, but only when we wield it. And um, we're going to be looking at King David. King David understood praise. His whole life was a picture of praise. Um, he understood praise and devotion, and that overflowed into his entire life. He didn't see himself as a king or a worshiper as two separate things. He saw him as one thing, and that's how we should see ourselves when we come to praise God. Yeah. Who's with me? Yeah. All right, so if you're taking notes, this is the first point. Are you ready? Yeah. I've got a few points. I love points. Praise as a corporate expression is powerful. Yeah. Say that with me. Praise... praise as a corporate expression, is powerful. So, we've just praised, you know, we've just had worship, we've sung, we've shouted, we've declared the name of God, and um, it's amazing. As we've seen all this month, we've seen the level of breakthrough just increase, like, it's been incredible. It's amazing that when we sing, we're able to see people get healed. It's, it's just, something happens, as we said, the atmosphere shifts. And I was asking the question, well, why... Why has it been happening so much this month? What, where in Scripture can it, it show us this? And if you've got your Bibles, go to Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. You've probably heard that Scripture before. It's the Scripture we often use to kind of convince you to go to, you know, Hope Hubs or come to church or something. Um, <laughs> But it's actually a really powerful verse because it talks about spiritual principle of praise. First thing we see is it talks of two or three. Now we can understand two or three. What's two or three? It's more than one. So it's when you actually 
go to someone, you agree about something, it'll happen. See, this is the thing about the two or three. Where there's two or three, there's agreement. And it doesn't have to be just two or three. It can be 20 or 30 or 200 or 300 or 2,000 or... I could keep going. Um, but there's power in agreement. And I, I was thinking of an analogy that it's kind of like, you know, if you've got two business owners and they own two owners, one business. But if one of them wants to, you know, go right and the other one wants to go left, what they're going to do is they're going to go straight on and crash. You can't progress if you don't have agreement. So where there are two or three, there's agreement. But the scripture doesn't end there because it continues. It says, for where two or three have gathered together in my name. In whose name? Jesus' name. There's power in Jesus' name. You see, sometimes people come to church and you're coming not necessarily in Jesus' name. You can be coming for, you know, community. You could come for a great kids program. You could come for great coffee. You could even come just for the preaching. But we're actually coming together in whose name? Jesus. Jesus' name. And when we come together in Jesus' name and agree, two or three come together and agree in Jesus' name, it says, I am there in their midst. So when we agree, he's here in the midst. It's as simple as that, folks. There's power when we declare the name of Jesus. When we agree, when we all agree, not just one or two, all of us agree. Here's another good scripture. Head over to Leviticus 26. I love, um, in high school, I really loved maths and sciences because it made sense to me. It's like two plus two is four and that makes sense. Whereas with English, it was frustrating because it's like I would write an essay and it'd be like, that's the answer. There's only one answer and the English teacher would be like, ah, that's, there's lots of nuances. And the thing I love about this scripture, 26.8, is it's a mathematical principle <laughs> and it gives a clear direction. So get your maths brains on. This is what it says. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase 10,000, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. Yeah. Let's examine it a bit more closely. Get our maths brains on. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase 10,000. Let's, now, let's break down the maths. Who's good at ratios? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, let's look at this first group. So, five people. So, obviously, these Israelites are being told by God that if you go out, you will defeat your enemies, because I'm with you, right? So he says to the, so these five people have agreed, they've agreed that they have authority with God. So they've gone out and they've been able to slay a hundred. Now, what's the ratio on that? One to 20. So one person in that group of five is able to take down 20. Now that's awesome. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good ratio. You know, I'd be, I'd be happy with one, but to take down 20, that's awesome. But something's interesting in this scripture. Because the next bit, it says 100 will take down 10,000. Now, what's the ratio there? 10,000 divided by 100 is? 100. 100. You're awful quiet. <laughs> now, what's interesting about this is where they're, the anointing on that 100 group of 100 versus the group of 5, I don't think that anointing is any different. It's the same mandate. It's the same call. It's the same promise from God. Yeah. What's the difference? The power of agreement. There's more of them. The, the belief and the, author, the authority's increased and the outcome's increased because they've agreed that they have authority in God. So five were able to take down, you know, 20 people each. Now, when there's 100, they're able to take down 100 people each. Can you see that the increase of, there's an increase in breakthrough? Now, I'm not saying God uses exact mathematical numbers to, you know, for us to be able to chart a trajectory of breakthrough in church, but 
it shows us something. It shows us that when there's hunger increase, when the quantity of people increase, when the passion increases, so does the breakthrough. Come on. So it's not just, you know, I could say, okay, well, if more people come to church and there'll be greater breakthrough, not at all. But here's something to consider. Have you ever wondered why such great things happen at conferences? I don't know about you. I've been to some pretty amazing conferences. We went to Canada at the start of the year, went to Catch the Fire Church, and it was incredible. We walked in the room, and it was electric. We, we could, you could feel God was moving in the, in the place. And I was asking myself the question, well, what was it about that place that allowed such amazing breakthrough? Because there was breakthrough. Was it the anointed speakers? You know, there were some pretty amazing people there. There was Bill Johnson, Heidi Baker, you know, very anointed people. Could be, could be that. Could it be the location? You know, Toronto's known for being this place where there has been historic breakthrough. You know, one of the biggest shifts in the church um, in the last 30 years has occurred out of that place. Is it that location? Possibly. Is it um, the people who are praying? You know, maybe they've got a really anointed team. Could be. It could also be that because it has that reputation, that history, it's attracted people who are hungry for God. You see, I believe it's not necessarily all those other things. I think, you know, you can have anointed speakers, you can have great, great location, great praise, you can have all, great worship, you can have all these things. But if the hunger of the people is not there and the passion is not there, then it's going to be really hard to get breakthrough. God doesn't just... Um, he waits for you to accept what He's got for you. You know, He's not going to force anything upon you. So breakthrough comes when there's hunger. Here's another question that I've been considering. Why do we worship at church? Why can't we do it at home? So like maybe, oh, I don't like the style or I don't like, you know, jumping. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, Maybe I'll just worship at home and then I'll come to church later. You know what? It's really important to worship at home. Totally important because when you worship at home, it's a time when you can get intimate with God, when he can reveal things to you specifically for you, when you can learn about God in a certain way. He reveals himself in different ways and worship at home is important. It's in fact where you foster a lifestyle of praise. But the thing about coming to church is it's a place where we come to war. It's a place where we give out our praise. You know, we often look at church as the place where we come to receive and get refreshed. So we kind of, our week goes like this, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, recharge on Sunday and then away we go again. Really, when we come to church on a Sunday, it should be a time that we're already prepared and we give. We give praise. Why do we do that? Well, I see one of a couple of different reasons. Firstly, you're blessing the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father, He wants to be blessed. He wants to hear from His people. We just sung about it. All our affection and devotion may be poured out over you. He loves it when we praise Him. But the second thing, and I think this is just as important, is that when we're praising and giving out what we're prepared in with a lifestyle of worship is that we are fighting, not for ourselves, but for the person next to us who hasn't yet had their breakthrough. What we're doing is modeling what praise looks like, and we're showing this is how you fight. This is how God fights. This is how he fights for you. It's through praise. Come on, church. Come on. Come on. You see, you get breakthrough when everyone agrees for breakthrough, not just one or two, is when everyone agrees for breakthrough. As we saw in Leviticus, it increases as the hunger increases. You know, I've played for rooms of people, you know, I've played at, you know, weddings and funerals and things, and and people aren't really hungry for worship in those times. They kind of just want to get through the ceremony and get on with the day. And, you know, 
Unsurprisingly, more often than not, I don't see major breakthrough when I'm leading a worship song at a wedding. Yet at a church, you see breakthrough. It's because there's hunger there. There's passion there. There's, there's, people want to see God. You know? So when you come to church, come hungry. Come ready. Come ready to give your praise because that's when breakthrough comes. It's when we take the focus off ourselves and our problems and focus on the God that the breakthrough comes. Come on. And here's the last thought. Corporate, uh, as praise as a corporate expression is powerful. You know, um, I love being able to lead worship from up here. I love it. It's, you know, makes me come alive. And I've been thinking about what the role of a worship leader is. And I think a lot of the times people may look at that and go, okay, well, praise starts here. Or praise starts with a great guitar solo or a wonderful piece of art. You know, we can be doing a Grammy award-winning, you know, performance. We could be, Beck could be painting an Archibald Prize winner that's going to go in the NGV. You know, that could be some amazing kind of drum solo. It doesn't matter. The praise doesn't come from here. The praise comes from here. The praise comes from you. When you bring your readiness and your preparation and your voice and your hunger for God, guess what? Breakthroughs happen. Corporate expression of praise is important because praise brings breakthrough. When we all agree in praise, it brings breakthrough. Are you with me, church? And I just want to encourage you as well. I'm hitting you with some stuff here, but you've been praising so well this month. The level has just increased, you know, and we've felt it, you know. I, it, it fills my heart with joy when I'm standing up there and I'm looking down at people just getting, you know, transformed. I'm just playing away and stuff's happening because of the power of your praise. It wouldn't happen if you weren't praising. So good on your church. Keep going. Keep pursuing. Keep, stay hungry. Stay passionate. Now, if you're familiar with the life of David, um, David was an incredible man. King of Israel, more was written about him in the Old Testament than anyone else. He also happened to be the most passionate praiser in all of the Old Testament. Now, what does that tell you about the importance of praise? It's real important. And um, the thing I find fascinating looking at David's life, and I've spent a bit of time going back over it and kind of examining it, is we don't know a lot about David until he suddenly shows up on the scene. In... um, And just a bit of context, if you're not familiar, the first king of Israel was a man called Saul. The prophet Samuel anointed him. And Saul, he didn't quite get it right. He made a few critical errors. And um, long and short of it, um, God wanted a new king. The prophet Samuel wanted a new king. So God sent um, Samuel off to go find a new king. And he went to Jesse and he went to his sons. And he saw his first son, and this is what it says about the first son in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at, the appearance, at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. Not going good for that first son. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Yeah. That's a really important statement, the Lord looks at the heart. So the question I was asking is, well, why was David picked? You know, so the Lord's looked at his heart. Well, what does that say about his heart? He had a heart that was full of worship to God. He had to have. There was no other way he would have been picked. You know, we didn't see what his worship life was like. It's not documented. But there's no way that God would have picked someone to lead his people who did not have a passion for him. He was a worshiper. Acts 13.22 says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, 
a man after my heart who will do my will. You see, the thing about praise is the praise is kind of like the response. The thing that fuels the praise is something called devotion. It's devotion to God. David had a heart fully devoted to God that he would do God's will. And you know, David, by no means, he wasn't a perfect man, but he loved God. He loved God a lot. And it was that thing that's kept him in God's favor. You see, David, he was, um, his role in his family, he was a shepherd. He was the youngest. He was a shepherd. It was, very, it was a probably more humble role in the family. And you know, when Samuel came to find someone to anoint, David wasn't even in the house. He was out in the fields. He wasn't at the table. But this is some, this, the important thing with that is, this is what happens when you praise. When you're spending time in a humble place, you're praising God and you're lifting Him up. Is you're sowing a seed in the Spirit. You're investing in the Spirit, your praise, kind of, your praise seed, so to speak. Mark 4 says, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows. The soil produces crops by itself. And when the crop permits and when the crop is ready... He immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. I see praise like that. That when you praise, you're investing in the spirit and it's growing away. You may not see it. It may not happen immediately, but at some point there's going to be a harvest. There's going to be a harvest and all of a sudden you've been praising all this time and you've thought, maybe you've thought nothing of it, but you're praising, you're loving God, you're lifting him up and then all of a sudden a harvest comes. The harvest came for David. You know, he was a shepherd. He was out in the fields a humble role, the youngest of the family. And in a moment, he goes from shepherd to the anointed king of Israel. That's what praise does. That's what praise does. You should get excited by that. David experienced a suddenly in his life because of his devotion to God. So he became the anointed king of Israel. He wasn't a king legally at this point, but he was a king in the spirit. His praise led to a physical response. And David succeeded in life because of worship. But let's look at the flip side. There's another man called Saul who was king of Israel. He failed because of worship. He didn't understand worship. He lost his authority over the kingdom, uh, over, over Israel, because he worshipped himself. You know, there was a battle and he was told to destroy all, all that was there. Get rid of it all. Don't keep anything. And yet he kept some for himself. And in 1 Samuel 15, it says, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he had set up a monument to who? To himself. He tried worshipping himself. He tried setting up a legacy for himself. He didn't understand that God would fight for all those things if he just lifted up the name of God. Devotion to God, that's what transforms things. That's what set David up for greatness. So David, he was anointed and he became the anointed king of Israel and he received this anointing. At the same time, though, the anointing that was on Saul to be king of Israel left him. It left Saul and entered David. And Saul, he had an evil spirit come upon him. Now, this is where praise in the spirit brings a physical response because David, this unknown shepherd, we don't know anything about him until he's anointed. The very next scripture that we see him in, he's playing the harp for King Saul. He's gone from being a shepherd in the fields and no one to ministering to the king. That's a bit of an elevation, don't you think? We've gone from nothing to, you know, one of the highest, most esteemed places you could be. So that's one thing that happens when you praise in the Spirit is that you get an upgrade, you get an elevation, you get a promotion. But here's the other thing. 
Saul had an evil spirit in him. The only thing that could soothe it was what? Praise. It was worship. And David, who was a worshipper, he must have been known as a worshipper because he wouldn't have been picked otherwise, but he was known as a worshipper. He was elevated and put into this place. Praise will always shift things in the spiritual realm. It'll take you out of places of darkness and put you into places of victory. And in a time of humility, it will eventually lead to an upgrade, a place of authority. Because why? Praise is a weapon. Praise is a weapon. David fought. He wielded. He wielded praise. He picked it up. And he got incredible breakthrough far beyond what he could have imagined. Come on. All right. We going well? We going well. So... We've learned, number one, praise as a corporate expression is powerful. Praise in the spirit brings a physical response. And here's my next one. Praise breaks the works of the enemy. Amen. Praise breaks the works of the enemy. If you want to go to 1 Samuel 17, praise breaks the works of the enemy. You know, the reason the enemy doesn't want to praise is it breaks his back. He hates it. And what we do when we praise is we're ignoring our feelings and the way the enemy wants us to think and feel. You know, he wants us to feel tired. He wants us to feel distracted thinking about our week. Do you know why he wants us to feel this, those things? Because it stops us praising God. We're focusing on our circumstances. We're not focusing on our God. And when we focus on our God, there comes massive breakthrough. Yeah. We're going to look at one of the most well-known stories, probably in the Old Testament, one of the most well-known stories. Veggie Tales did a good episode on this. David defeats Goliath. It's a good one. I like it. Goliath is a picture of the enemy, and he represented the Philistine armies. And um, depending on the translation you've got, he stood somewhere between seven and nine feet tall. Um, you know, pretty big, pretty big guy. But amazingly, David brought him down with a sling and a stone. Let's look at 1 Samuel 17, and if you go to verse 36, we're going to see something pretty cool. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. Let's just stop there for a second. What did it say? He killed both lion and bear? What a machine. He killed a lion and a bear. Has anyone killed a lion and a bear here? I don't think so. I'd be thinking, how quick can I get away from either one of those things? It's not just a lion. Your servant has killed a lion. No, no, he's killed a lion and a bear. I mean, come on. This guy must have been seriously strong, and we're going to do some VeggieTales myth-busting right now, because we know David is the little runt with the Dennis the Menace-style slingshot, and he comes along and he's like, whoop. No, David was a, he was a unit. He was a, you don't want to mess with David. If he came into the room, I'd be thinking, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure he's happy. Yeah. Don't want to mess with David. So he's killed both lion and the bear. So I think the thing that tell, that tells us is he was physically strong. He was a warrior. He was fit. He'd been a shepherd. It's not fluffy white sheep shepherd. It's out in the rough, wild weather, having to rear sheep, having to fight off lions and bears and other wild animals, maybe, you know, thieves. That was a tough job. So he was tough. So let's look again. Verse 36. Your servant has killed both lion and bear... And this Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. So David believes with his own ability that he can take down Goliath. That's the kind of guy he is. He believes that he can take him down. He's got the ability to do it. But let's look at verse 37. This is where it gets really cool. 
And David then said, the Lord who delivered me, if you were underlining, underline that bit, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Do you see what's happening here? David is acknowledging that though he has the ability, it is God that that is the source and the supply. Because of his praise life, he realized that when he goes into battle, when he convinces Saul that he's the man to take down Goliath, that not only is he skilled, he's certainly skilled. And you know what I reckon could have happened? If he didn't have the anointing of God, he could have picked up a stone, done done the slingshot and given Goliath a serious headache. But because of the anointing, because David acknowledged the source and supply and his assurance and victory came from God, that God assured the victory over Goliath. Come on. You see, there are two ways we can look at this. And often we look at this story, the Veggie Tales way of looking at it, that David was told, it was the anointing that assured the victory. And I'm, you know, no doubt it did. But it's almost like, you know, you know, a spell was put upon David and all of a sudden he could take down Goliath as if he didn't know how to operate a slingshot. So we could look at it that way and kind of go, well, God will just do something for me. And, and, you know, he can. But the other way, and the world can look at that story and go, well, actually, you know, David was just tough and he just took him down. No, it's not that either. David realises, and this is key, David realises that his life as a warrior and his life as a worshipper were not two separate things. They lived completely together. He was excellent as a warrior. He was trained as a warrior. He was great as a warrior, but he was great as a worshipper as well. They lived together. They're not two separate things. And that's the thing we can fall into a trap of doing, that we go, okay, I've got my Sunday life and then I've got my rest of my week life. Your life as a praiser and a worshipper should infiltrate every single part of your life because you will see breakthrough in every area of your life. David understood that the praise is a weapon and he picked it up and he took down Goliath. Come on. And I look at, I look at that our praise is like the stone that he picks up. You know, Goliath, he's a picture of the enemy. He's a picture of the enemy. He's this big, tall, strong thing that was putting fear into the hearts of Israel. The army was, they didn't want to fight him because they were terrified of him. He stood there and Israel was thinking, we're done for. We're about to get crushed by this guy. They're going to come in and destroy everything. But, the, but praise is like that stone. It looks small, but it's tough. It's made out of strong material. It found the weakness in, in, in Goliath. The sling came out. And down he came. He was struck dead. That's what praise can do. That's what praise can do. And the question I've got for you right now is, what are the Goliaths in your life that are staring at you, intimidating you, striking fear into you? You know, when Goliath came down, there was hope. Israel had victory. What seemed like an impossibility had been brought down. And now they were free to go through and take the land. What is the Goliath in your life? You know, there are Goliaths. There's things like, you know, sickness, depression, Fear, anxiety, relationship breakdown, financial issues, things like studies. But the thing is, when you pick up praise, when you pick up praise, declare the name of God, don't focus on the problem, focus on the God, the Goliaths will fall. The Goliaths will fall. Come on. In that moment, instead of striking fear into Israel, the Philistine nation was scattered. That's what praise can do. And praise, you know, it breaks the work of the enemy, but it will also overflow into all your lives 
when you, when you take it up, when you declare the name of God in all things, everything will change. Everything will change. Come on. Come on. Praise as a corporate expression is powerful. Praise in the spirit leads to a physical response. Praise breaks the works of the enemy. And praise is a weapon. And we are the warriors. We're going to fast forward a little bit in David's life. And we're going to look at a psalm. Because psalms are great. Psalms are the uh, guidebook on how to praise. In fact, David, I love saying this, David quite literally wrote the book on praise. Psalm 42, if you've got it there. And this first verse is one of the most iconic of them all. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Verse 11, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Saviour and my God. Now, those are really powerful words. If we just look at it real quick, you can see David saying, as the deer pants for streams of water, my soul longs for you. I long for you, God. I I want to see more of you, God. I want more of your expression in my life, more of your power in my life. I love you, God. That's a powerful expression. Verse 11, he, he talks about pain in his life. Briefly, he says, my soul, I'm feeling downcast, but he's kind of questioning his soul. It's like, why are you feeling downcast? It's almost like, I shouldn't feel like this. And then the very next line, he says, well, I'm going to put my hope in God. I'm going to put my God and I will praise him. I will praise him. He calls him my savior. Who's my savior? The one who takes me out of a situation, who picks me up, who rescues me, who saves me, who prevents me from feeling, you know, the pain, who pulls me out of a a hopeless Goliath-like situation. My savior and my God. My hope, my supply, all things come from him, everything from my God. And you would think with those words that David would be feeling pretty good about himself when he wrote them, but actually it couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, David was in a time of great crisis when he wrote those words. Um, That psalm was written at the time of um, 2 Samuel 15, and David was on the run. He was on the run, but he wasn't on the run from a foreign king. He wasn't on the run from a foreign army or even Saul. He was on the run from a man called Absalom, his third son. Absalom had decided he'd like to be king, as you do. And he'd mustered an army and and David, he, he had to leave, he had to go. And the thing for David was, normally if someone did that, out comes the sword, a few slices there, problem, problem sorted. But not with Absalom. You see, he loved his son. He's a parent. He loved his son. He didn't want any harm to come to him. He didn't want him to die. And he didn't go out to hunt for him either. He didn't go to try and kill him. In um, 2 Samuel 18.5, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. He didn't want anything, any harm to come to Absalom. And so instead of fighting, what David does is he lifts up his voice and he writes down and he sings songs to God, psalms to God. Twelve psalms, in fact, were written about this one chapter, this one event in the book of 2 Samuel. Twelve psalms, I believe more than any other event in in all of the psalms. Now, what does that say about the importance of praise in a time of crisis? It says it's very important. He had to declare God's goodness and greatness in that situation. Ten of those psalms were written whilst he was still on the run. With no hope in sight, he was declaring the name of God. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. I will praise him. He recognizes 
the spiritual power of praise, that praise is what? A weapon. Praise is a weapon. And what did he do? He wielded it. He picked it up. He used it. He declared the name of God in what seemed like a totally hopeless situation. Instead of raising a sword, he raises his praise. And Absalom, you know, just like Saul, you know, he praised himself. He praised himself. 2 Samuel 18, 18. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself a pillar. Sounds a lot like Saul. He set up a pillar in the king's valley and this is what he said. I have no son to preserve my name. So he named the pillar after his own name and called it Absalom's monument. See, once again, you've got someone who's trying to get acknowledgement for themselves to ensure that their legacy is is, um, carried on. But the thing that these men did not understand is that when you worship and praise God, God assures a legacy. He'll ensure a legacy. Think of David. You know what legacy David had? You know, Jesus, he's known as being one of the line of David, of the house of David, that from David all the way down to Jesus... His family runs. What a legacy to be known in the Bible that David is the head of the house where Jesus came from. Now that's a legacy. And that's what praise did. David understood praise. He lived a life of praise. And despite the many faults that David had, you don't have to look far to find some of the many mistakes he made. But because of praise, a legacy was ensured. You see, we're not meant to praise ourselves or rely on our own ability. You know, sometimes we can go, I can sort this problem out. Or forget about God in our daily circumstance. It's like the, the, Sunday, the Sunday life and then the Monday to Saturday life. When praise fills us and we live it, it's going to overflow into our lives. Oh, Legacy is going to be ensured. Victory will be ensured. You see, the thing I find about David is he was a man that was incredibly able. Ability is important, but he always recognized that his source and supply was from the living God. Yeah. And here's the thing with praise. This is the tough one. It actually doesn't matter where you find yourself this morning. It doesn't matter what you're feeling this morning. You may be going through a really painful situation. I can tell you, I've been through some painful situations, some challenging weeks, some challenging times. But the thing that happens when we praise is that God, when we praise God, God will actually praise us. It's a bit of a a foreign thought but God will praise us. You know, Jesus said that the Pharisees cared more about the praises of men than the praises of God. Should we not be caring about the praises of God? He's a relational God who wants to bless you, to free you, to see you on a course to victory. Let's use the thing that God's given us, the ability to declare his name in victory over all situations. You know, when we speak his name, we are doing something supernatural. And by the same token, God is trying to do something in the natural for us. It's like this awesome transaction that's been going on since the very beginning. It's amazing. We should seek to bless the heart of the Father. And he'll send the blessing and praise right back to us. He loves us. He wants to prosper us. This is what happens when we take up the weapon that is praise. We get breakthrough. We get victory. God comes and sends his armies to fight alongside us. Do we believe that? Amen. Amen.